Amen. You know, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm really glad that I'm here today. I'm glad that our worship team is here today. You know, <laughs> I'm uh, excited about uh, our college students being here today. Go crew. And uh, love that. And uh, what a blessing it is. You know, uh, you know, when we follow Christ, we all understand that it's never easy to follow Christ. It's never easy to follow Him. He calls us to self-sacrifice and He calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow Him. See, I believe that we all probably enjoy great opportunities to be fed and poured into spiritually. But if we were to look at one group of souls within our church that tends to be underserved and in need of some TLC, tender loving care in ministry, it would be our preschool area. Think about this. We are in search of someone with leadership qualities who's willing to love on young mothers, young parents, and their little ones with the love of Christ. No doubt it's a challenging area. It's a growing area. And praise God that He trusts us with these little ones. And yet it's a big time, vital ministry right here at Memorial. We're looking for a person or a team who would enjoy ministering specifically to young mothers and young parents. And what I'm talking about is a preschool and nursery minister. Someone who would take that area, and this ministry has an amazing growth potential. And it's one of those key areas where we need, as a church, to invest time and energy, and I want to say our very best people, in order to draw and retain young parents and families in our church. You know, if you're interested in doing something like that, just see me, call me, text me. I mean, I'd like to talk to you about that amazing possibility of ministry here at Memorial in that area. See, I believe that God plants in the body what is needed for the body. You know, Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You know, quite often we think about evangelism and evangelism being an act of, um, you know, one person, one-on-one uh, -on -one basis, or maybe even evangelism as in preaching a sermon to, to many folks. But a closer look into biblical evangelism helps us to see that it is being, it is saying, and it is doing. You know, performing social deeds for others Helping those in need brings people to the Lord, but also being or living a lifestyle of evangelism brings people to the Lord. You know, the real champion in our study here in the book of Ruth is Naomi. We think about Naomi, and, and Naomi was a native of Judah, and uh, she was a Jew, and uh, she knew the Lord. She worshipped Yahweh. She worshipped the one true God. And she really had no business being in the, 
the land of Moab. And I, I think this is interesting because this is a place that God calls his wash pot. God refers to Moab as his wash pot. His wash bowl in, in Psalm 60, verse 8, this is what it says. It says, Moab is my wash bowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. Shout loud, O Philistia, because of me. Moab is my wash bowl. Over Edom I shall throw my shoe. You know, by the way, the term wash bowl, wash pot, is a term of absolute contempt. God has contempt for Moab. Now, God says they are lower than the lowest slave. They are basically the wash basin that the slaves would wash the feet of their superiors. And you think about what was in that bowl. What was in the wash pot, the filth, the wash. You know, you think about a society that, that wears sandals and, and walks around in the desert, how dirty their feet may have been. He's saying all of that filth, that's Moab. That's Moab. Moab is my wash pot. Additionally, he says, over Edom I shall throw my shoe, which refers to a custom. Now, I, I wanna, we're going to get into that, that later in Ruth. Uh, about the throwing of the shoe, but uh, you know, throwing down a shoe on the ground was a symbol of occupancy. It was a symbol meaning servitude for the loser. You put your shoe down, that meant you were walking on them or you were choosing to be the servant of the other. You know, it just sounds mean, throwing a shoe. I mean, throwing a shoe at someone is still very offensive in the Middle East. You remember the shoe that got thrown at then-President Bush? He was at a press conference. Some of you may not remember this. The U.S. Embassy in Baghdad in 2008. He was giving a press conference and someone from the audience threw their shoe at him. 3,000 years later, it's still a thing. Read with me, if you will, in Ruth. If you have your scripture, open it up to Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read down through verse 19. Uh, verse 6 through 19. And we're going to continue on in our study of, of Ruth, the book of Ruth. Um, I love this text. And it's a, it's a very uh, often used text. Uh, sometimes they use a portion of this text in weddings, uh, talking about commitment and so forth. So uh, beginning in verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard of the land of Moab that the Lord had visited His people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, 
Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that I may, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. I, if I said I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. We're going to stop there. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in this moment. Father, we love you. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this text is one of the most famous that comes from the women in the Old Testament. And it speaks of devotion and it speaks of love. But it also speaks of evangelism. Yes, evangelism. <laughs> I know it may seem odd that, to say that because it's not often spoken of when you think about Ruth. But let's think about how she came to say these words. Naomi lived a godly life. Naomi lived a life that was out in plain open sight, if you will, of her two daughters-in-laws. They were both attracted to her to the extent that they, they wanted to leave Moab and they wanted to go back to Judah with her. And Naomi gave a witness to the Lord by her life, by how she lived, by being by being. See, this is one of the means of evangelism. Never underestimate the way you live. Never underestimate the way you live. Even though Orpah and Ruth were pagan idolaters, Naomi was kind to them. Naomi was kind to them and without compromising either the glory of God or, or the truth of God, she lived peaceably in the same house with them. She belonged to Yahweh Almighty, the one true and living God. They were pagans. They worshipped Shamash, the fish god, in Moab. 
She lived peaceably with them. She was kind to them. She honored God and won their affection by her kindness. You know, we could all learn something from Naomi. Because kindness is always fashionable. Kindness is always right. You know, in, in verse 4, we didn't read verse 4 today. We read it last time. But in, in, in the part in verse 4 about being 10 years, it says there, and they lived there about 10 years uh, in Moab. That part about 10 years is important. And we overlook it because it's one little line in this whole passage. But that was 10 years of living and getting to know the Hebrew way with Naomi. That was 10 years, one day at a time. You know, Ruth's husband and Naomi, her mother-in-law, had 3,650 days with Ruth before she spoke these words. Somewhere at some point, Ruth decided, whatever they got, I want. It was because of their lifestyle. It was because of the the kindness. And and through our lifestyle, we are either pointing people to Jesus or we're pointing them away from Jesus. The way that we live, people will believe in our Redeemer God when they see Him in us, the redeemed. They will believe in Him when they see Him in us. And we we tend to be attracted to people Because of who they are and what they do. So notice the attractiveness of Naomi's life. First, you have the attraction of the daily lifestyle. You know, sometimes evangelistic opportunities come in special events. And we think about that in terms of maybe a revival. The church holds a revival and there's, there's a special event. And so it's an evangelistic revival or maybe it's a, a crusade. But it's a special event where people all come together. We think of evangelism in those terms. But we also think of evangelism in, I want to call them courageous confrontations. Where we talk about maybe meaningful and bold conversations one-on-one. But the most evangelistic opportunities happen during an ordinary day of ordinary living. See, Naomi lived every day in the mundane, in the common experience, doing the same things over and over and over again, doing the laundry, doing the dishes, taking care of the family, all of these things we we see in Naomi's life. It was in everyday mundane experiences and her daughters-in-law saw the quality of her life. They saw the excellence of her life. They saw the value of her life and how she lived. There's the attraction of the daily lifestyle. There's also the attraction of the God being worshipped. Often our lifestyle will call attention to ourselves. The way we live, it may call attention to ourselves. But note this, this was not the fact with Naomi. Ruth knew about Naomi's God from Naomi's life. And Ruth decided to commit her life to Naomi's God. In verse 16, she said, your God will be my God. She made a commitment there. 
See, everything that Ruth learned about God from Naomi attracted her. Folks, we have a wonderful God. He is attractive and he will draw people to himself if they see him in us. Notice also the attraction of community. Not only was Ruth attracted to Naomi's God, but she was also attracted to Naomi's people. She said, your people shall be my people. She's willing to leave her land. She's willing to leave where she grew up and go and attach herself to the Hebrew people, to the Israelites, because of Naomi's influence in her life. And Ruth was attracted to Naomi's son. She was attracted to Naomi's family. I mean, it was probably the first time where she saw people who dwelt together, who lived together in love and harmony. I mean, God's people present to a competitive world the attraction of care and compassion. I mean, like the song says, they will know we are Christians by our, by our love. That's what they saw in Naomi. John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the attraction of the community it's the attraction of the God being worshipped. It's the attraction of the daily lifestyle. See, I want to point out to you that Naomi urged her daughters-in-law to go back to their own people, their own families. She celebrated. She applauded their behavior. Hey, you guys are great. Thanks for sticking with me. Now you need to go back. She prayed for them. She kissed them goodbye. But both Orpah and Ruth professed with their mouths, they professed a determination to stick by their mother-in-law. Oh, I'm sure there were lots of tears. It was probably an emotionally high event, you know. They were probably crying. They were all torn up. They were, they were boo-hooing. And, 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 you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to show disrespect there. I'm saying there have been times where I've been there. And you have too. And they made an emotional pact but some of it didn't last. See, the decisions that are based on sentiment and emotion rather than sound judgment do not usually last very long. I mean, anything born in the storm will die in the calm. I mean, we, we, we have terms for that. We call it impulse buying. You know, when, when you get there in the heat of the moment, you decide, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. And then later you might go, man, why did I do that? That was the dumbest thing I've ever done. You've been there, I have too. Those emotional decisions aren't always the wisest decisions. Then Naomi persuaded both Orpah and Ruth with strong reasons to go back to their own families. I mean, why did she discourage them? Did she want them to go back to the idolatry? I mean, did she not want them to worship God? I mean, without question, Naomi wanted Orpah and Ruth to accompany her back to Bethlehem. But if they returned with her, 
She wanted them to return, not for her sake, but because they wanted to. And if they did come with her, then Naomi wanted them to make an intentional and informed choice. You know, today, Naomi may not be seen as a, a good soul winner by today's standards because she didn't close the deal. But here it is. She was very plainly honest. And she said, if you go with me back to Judah, it's going to cost you. I like that. I like to say, you know, she used Jesus' method of evangelism. Because Jesus would say, tell them early on, it's going to cost them everything. Tell them early on, don't soft sell it. Don't say, well, if you come to Jesus, if you follow me, everything's going to, all your problems are going to be taken care of because they're not. He says, tell them early on, it's going to cost them everything. Oh, salvation is free. It's a free gift given to us by Jesus Christ's payment of his blood on the cross. But to follow him will cost you everything. Notice Orpah. Orpah returned back to her Moabite people. Orpah is never heard of again. She slips back into her pagan culture. She slips back in with her pagan people and her pagan gods. Slipping off the pages of Scripture, off of history and eternity. But Ruth, Ruth lives on in history, in Scripture, and in heaven because God's grace has placed her in the line of, of one of the greatest kings that Israel had ever known, King David. And ultimately, he put her in the line of the Messiah, the King of Kings. You see the difference here between Orpah and Ruth? Orpah turned and went back. And Ruth pressed on with Naomi. See, Ruth had come to trust the God of Israel, and she refused to go back. burning her proverbial Moabite bridge. That bridge represents the bridge back into the world. So let me ask you, have you burned your Moabite bridge? Have you committed yourself to God and to His people and burned the Moabite bridge that would take you back away from God? There's also the attraction of victory over suffering. And here's the reality. All people suffer. All people suffer, including Christians, pagans, non-believers. All people suffer. I'm sure that you'll agree uh, with me at this point that in her life, Ruth had been enrolled in the school of hard knocks. And she ran smack dab into the unfairness of life. The unfairness of life. If you believe that life has to be fair for everyone, I don't know who sold you that. 
who told you that and sold you that bag of goods, but I'd like to meet that person because I have a bridge and some waterfront property I'd like to sell them. The unfairness of life. See, in his book, Hope Again, Chuck Swindoll, he points out there's two kinds of bad in this world. There's the consequences of living in a sinful world, an unfair world. But there are also the consequences of disobeying God, repercussions of ignoring his guidelines. And as a rule, life is fairer for those who try to live God's way. Life is fairer for those who try to live God's way. That's what 1 Peter 3.13 is referring to when it says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? I mean, for example, if you pay your bills, you pay your debts, chances are you won't get into financial trouble. If you pay your taxes on time, you probably won't have the IRS on your back. If you take care of your body and get enough sleep and exercise and watch your diet and stress level, chances are you're going to live a healthier life than those who don't. If you help others, there's a probability that you're going to receive help when you need it. Listen, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where the just suffer. They still suffer unjustly. Those who are righteous suffer unjustly. I mean, rain does fall on the good and the bad. They, they receive the same rain you do. But listen, unjust suffering is always better than deserved punishment. It is better to suffer unjustly than to get what you deserve. I think that's huge because God's people have a special resource and advantage in a day of trouble. Ruth observed that Naomi was different when it came to difficulties and suffering. She saw in her life, there's something different about this woman. And when she is under the gun, when she is suffering, when trials and trouble come into her life, there's something different about the way she responds to it than everybody else I see. Naomi possessed to help. Whatever she possessed to help her in these times of trouble, Ruth wanted that too. She said, I'll take what she's having. I want what she's got. But she weathers the storm a whole lot better than most. But understand this, brothers and sisters. Being faithful during troubling times attracts a needy world. When we are faithful, even in the midst of all the junk, even in the midst of whatever we're going through, even in the midst of what's happening in our nation, even in the midst of the pandemic, when we remain faithful, it is attractive to a needy world. See, bringing people to the Lord, this lifestyle evangelism involves living out our salvation, but also giving a verbal witness to the Lord. See, we need to be openly sharing the way to salvation. And understand this, when you meet new people, 
The longer you wait to share the gospel with them, the harder it becomes. When you meet somebody new, let them know right away that you belong to the Lord. Share the gospel with them right away because the longer you wait and the closer you get to that person, the harder it's going to be to share your faith with them. See, bringing people to Christ means being active in some type of service, some type of ministry, namely helping with human needs. It gives you an opportunity to share with others the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But bringing people to Christ means being what God wants us to be in our daily life. So I asked this question. I'm, I'm bringing this up to, to a close here. Who is God using in your life that by listening to them and honoring them with humble obedience can guide you to a closer relationship with Christ? Who's your Naomi? Who is the one that you can follow and, and, and just listen to them and, and honor them with humble obedience. When they, when they give you something that you're willing to say, yes, I'll do that. And it guides you closer in your relationship with Christ. You see, we do live in an unfair world. And no one, no one is exempt from tragedy and disappointment. And as Philip Yancey says, God himself was not exempt. God himself was not exempt from the unfairness of this world. His only son, sinless though Jesus was, he suffered and he died unfairly for the sins of others. And Yancey writes this, he says, At once the cross revealed what kind of world we have. And what kind of God we have. A world of gross unfairness. And a God of sacrificial love. See, God can turn tragedy into triumph. See, this morning I just I want to invite you to respond to God's sacrificial love. And if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, then I urge you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ by asking him into your heart and life to be your Lord and Savior. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says this. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that means is that means that he's fair. In a world that is not fair, in a world that is unfair, we have a God who is faithful and just. He is fair. He gave us his son's death on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of our sin and purified from all unrighteousness. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, then I urge you, I urge you to commit. Commit to drawing closer, even closer to God in spite of the unfairness in your life. 
Commit to drawing even closer to God. You see the power of commitment. Ruth made a commitment to Naomi. She made a commitment to her God. She made a commitment to her people. See, the power of commitment says this. People who are half committed. People who are half committed are like a door that is left partially open. How many of you would go to bed at night and leave your door partially open? Because what happens is, is that invites the thief every time. Oh, hey, it's open. Hey, it's open. They walk through the open door, the unlocked door that's open a crack. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But making a commitment, making a commitment is like shutting the door and locking it. And it says then the devil flees from us. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Close the door and lock it. Make a commitment to God and to his people. I'm going to ask if you would just bow with me for a moment. You know, in the quietness of where you're sitting right now. This, I ask you to voice a prayer to God. In which you commit to do all that you can to be in the very center of God's will. Now that may be in, involved joining this church committing yourself to God and his people and serving with us in this place. But you need to understand there is no scripture that says you have to walk down this aisle to be a part of this church or to be saved. Talk with me, talk with one of our church staff, call us, text us, come by the office, email us. Let us know your desire and we will help you accomplish your goals in becoming obedient to the Lord. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for your son and your, the sacrifice that, that he gave so that we could be made right with you. Father, this morning in this place, I pray that our hearts would be committed to you, Father. Oh, we stand and we sing your praises. We worship you. But Father, many times we've left the door open. We've not burned our bridge. But Father, I pray that today we would close the door and lock it. And that our commitment to you and to your people would be greater than it's ever been in our life. Father, that others would see the Redeemer in you, in us. Father, that others would find our life attractive enough to follow it. Father, to want what we have. Father, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we ask, Father, guide us into all truth. Holy Spirit, examine our hearts. Guide us into a deeper commitment with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.